Um, I don't remember. Labendol? Drea once said I smell like beef and... I forget what the other thing was. Two weird things that don't go together. You smell like beef and Thai flavors. You smell like a Thai <laughs> curry, like a beef Wait, curry. Wait, no, no. That actually yeah, reminded me. That actually reminded me. No. Um, <clears throat> rubber bands. Beef earthy. and rubber bands. Earthy and beef, which earthy, I was like, oh, that makes sense because I use cedar soap all the time. So would you say like uh, ground beef? <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> that's very good. That is very good humor. That might even be an intro right there. Oh, Just don't God. let me forget about it. <laughs> there was. The, there was uh... Podcast episode 159, nearing the tip of the 160 mountain, where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books from UPS and we bring them back here uh, to our comic shop that we own and love and care about. And uh, after we complete a whole busy day, we come up here to our pap cave in the sky and record a podcast uh, to, you know, sort of engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the shop that we know and love, the books that we also probably know and love. That we meet and love. And the comings and goings of our lives, which if you're like Jay, Roman and I, rather, you probably have more self-loathing than being able to say you know and love it. But Django probably know and loves his life. Uh, the comings and goings of it. You'll never know if I do or don't, will you? No, it's true. You're an illusion. Listen, I'm just impressed that you think you've got uh, an acceptable intro out of all that stuff that we just talked about. I'm excited to listen to the podcast this week. Oh, I'm Jeff, and I just wish we had some french fries. Stole it from you, Roman. Oh, oh. oh man. Well, I'm, I'm Roman, and I wish we had some garlic on those fries. Oh, yeah. I'm Django. And? What are you <laughs> going to do to the fries? Oh, I'm going to eat them. Oh. I wish I could eat you guys' fries. Are you gonna I it? eat your... Movie quote. Garlic fry. I got there before you. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hey, listen, Roman, mm-hmm. I know you've been really freaked out about it for a while, so we are going to be spoiling Christmas? some of the books. Are right. you freaked out about Christmas? Do you want to let air that out right now? I'm not totally. I'm freaked out about how close it is, and what's, I just, what's I like, freaking I like, out about realize that? that it's like two weeks away. Yeah. I didn't realize that. <laughs> um, but still, what's stressing you out about that? Air I, it I, out. I haven't figured out what to get, get, get anybody. And let I, your hair down. <laughs> The, luckily, we got paid today, so that I'm, that eases some things. Shave your hair off. Roman, Django, is that from, what you've from, been doing? <laughs> Shaving it off? <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> Roman keeps talking about yeah, it. You know, got this. Yeah, we'll go yeah, for it. Yeah, you know, I've got a good shampoo. I've been meaning to tell you that, you know, it, it makes my hair really, it's not luxurious, but it's very soft. Yeah? And, you know, I could lend you some. No, yeah. no, no, yeah. you're supposed yeah. to talk about how it's keeping it thick. Well, yeah, it's, it's well, thicker than it. Yours. I've been trying to talk. In some places. I've been trying to talk him into just sort of like subtly, continually dropping about how like, hey, I've got this shampoo that's really helped you might... increase my hair growth. Maybe you want to borrow it. And I was hoping that he'd see, be well, able. Well, see, to... I, I was afraid the thickness thing because my hair isn't thick. I know. It's, I know. It's thin, but, but it's not bald. No, it's not thicker bald. than so mine. You just no. say that it's like it's still coming. I've got this shampoo that's helped me to still have hair. Yeah. My, my yeah, hair. that is the least Django ever appreciated a joke. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> my hair ain't thick, but it sure is thin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well played. <laughs> 
What's Roman spoiling for us this week? Oh, this week Roman's going to spoil The Butcher of Paris number one. What else is Roman going to spoil? 20XX number one. Spoil it, Roman. He's going to spoil Inferior 5-4 of six. Roman. Roman. Spoily Roman's going to spoil Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble number two. Oh, Roman, you smell like stank milk. (laughs) Stank Milk and Serpent Wars, Conan Serpent War, number one. Ooh, Roman, my man. Dusty Snake. Roman, my man, Stank. We're going to spoil the fuck out of Dead Eyes, number Schlee. Spill it. Also, X Men, number Schlee. Spill it. And Batman, number 84. 84. I love that. No no Schlees in there. Roman, you smell like that time my mom left a gallon of milk in the car. During the summer. It's his product. For several days. Your product stinks, man. <laughs> Bro, my well, man, you got to get that stank fixed. Well, you know, once they bought they bought me out, they changed the formula, and I got no control over that. Oh, so. they did buy you out, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You changed, they changed the formula away from beef and earth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's your... <laughs> no, you got to have the beef. You got to have the earth. That's the whole secret. That's the key. That's what keeps Roman using it, and nobody else. Butcher of Paris, number one, Dark Horse Comics. Stephanie Phillips, writer Dean Kotz and Jason Wordy. Dean Kotz <clears throat> is not Kyle Hotz. <clears throat> no, Kyle Hotz is much cartoonier than this art. Oh, I think I, I, I would have liked to see Kyle Hotz do that. Can I say I hadn't noticed before that the, the coloring is by Jason Wordy? How cool would it have been if Jason Wordy was the writer? Oh, my God. Oh, wow. The letterer. Or the, yeah, yeah. Um, are you guys familiar with any of these people? No, or the historical context around it was entirely new to me, and oh. it sounds super interesting. You need to watch a fucking World War II documentary no. or two. I'm familiar with The Butcher of Paris. I wasn't familiar with The Butcher of Paris. <laughs> There's a great book, I forget who wrote it, but called The Butcher of Paris that this writer talks about in her uh, text, Back Matter. Was The Butcher of Paris ever caught? Yes. Okay. Spoiler alert. Don't. Sorry. I thought it was an unsolved (laughs) mystery, so I was kind of curious about if this was going to be doing a from hell bit, you know, where it was having its own theory about who was the the butcher of Paris. So so the the setup here is is basically Paris um, during the Nazi occupation, and uh, there's somebody killing people. At at the end, we've found a... uh, a basement with severed arms and and skulls and uh, like an operating table, um, and the the people that it's following are Jews trying to buy their way out of Nazi Paris, and I really liked it. I I thought that the character work was really good. I thought that the art fit the story just perfectly. It, it's the art is a little bit. It looks a little bit like Eduardo Barreto to me, who did. The Shadow, which was set in a similar time period. He did the Shadow Strikes comics, and he did the uh, sequel to Batman, Gotham by Gaslight. Mm -hmm. So real sharp noses, kind of real angular faces. This this is a little bit sketchier than his, but a couple of the the panels just looked like somebody else inking that guy. Um, So I have kind of a soft spot for his art. And the colors were a lot brighter than you usually see in a murder mystery or a Nazi story. Um, but I, I dug it quite a bit. 
Roman hated it, and he's going to tell us why. I think. Uh, well, I didn't hate it, but well, wait, the, wait, 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 Roman, you said before this that you changed your mind about it. I did. I and I had no. I didn't think there was any chance in hell that you could not like this. I thought that was a goof. You no chance in from hell. No chance. In no from chance hell. from hell. There's actually. So can you take me on the journey of your relationship? I can't. I can because when I first read it, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And today, the second day, a day away from it, I was like, you know, I don't care for the art. I hate the faces. Like that face there, what the hell's going on? It's even out of – the guy's not looking at the guy speaking to him. So why, he, uh, why is he so scared? For the listeners in our audio medium, he is talking about panel one on page three of <laughs> The Butcher of Paris. It said Schley. Schley. Yeah, but one of the things that bugged me with the art is the faces, but specifically everybody's eyes. I thought the eyes were badly drawn in every – face and just uh, i reread it and i was like you know it's kind of hard the transitions between characters why somebody's important it's a case of they they kind of tell you why they're important somewhat but you know in an artistic medium like this they don't show you why and it's just for me it ended up other than the actual butcher itself and the case which is fascinating the characters aren't interesting to me huh yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the characters seem to be kind of cookie cutter. Like, this is the Nazi bad guy, this is the Jewish family trying to yeah. get out, and this is the guy who's set up to help them. Um, I guess I just like those kind of tropes. Yeah, and in the, in the, in the, it was, you said it was like Riso, kind of? Or, uh, I, I can see some Eduardo, Eduardo Barreto. Barreto, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except not as. I can see Riso. But yeah, more yeah. scratchy, not as kind of, not as finished, I yeah. would think. I, my big complaint about it is just. The shadows of it, like not like shadows, but like fabric shadows, like they're kind of all over the place and they don't make a ton of sense to me. Like on the faces, like the 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 clothing shadows are just sort of like I don't know, slop some ink down on there. Uh, I didn't I didn't dislike the art, but I also didn't love it. Um, I mean, I, it was evocative. <clears throat> I couldn't tell if I liked it a lot or was neutral on it, which is, is if. If that makes any sense. Well, I decided that I liked it a lot. Yeah. I also really, really enjoy reading about um, serial killers that I don't, that I've never heard of. Mm Because I went through a phase in high school, I'm sure almost everybody listening did, where I I, like got really into researching serial killers. And there's, there's about 15 or 20 of them that are in every single book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's been dozens of movies about the Zodiac killer and, you know, all, all those guys. But then like, um, Eric Larson, different Eric Larson, a guy named Eric Larson wrote a book called Devil in the White City, and it's about the World's Fair in Chicago and um, H.H. Holmes. The who, guy who built the hotel. He built the hotel and murdered people and threw them down in the basement through chutes that he had built into the walls. And I thought that was awesome. And I was astounded that that guy's not one of the dudes that was in those uh, in no, those yeah. books that I was reading when I was in high mm. school. And neither was The Butcher of Paris. No, actually, I was really interested in this story when this came out. And I <clears> didn't <throat> love this issue. I actually didn't quite finish it. I, I probably left out, I dipped out probably like four pages before the end. And not because I think it was a, a bad book in any way, but I was pretty tired at the time. And I guess I felt what Roman f- described, which is just sort of like... I. There was some hard transitions, and I was having a hard time keeping track of necessarily who was who or why I cared about anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have liked a little bit more meat about the killer in this like establishing in this issue. first issue. Yeah, and because <clears throat> we know nothing about him at this point, it's right. just here's a mystery, and and a lot of the politics and the social structure surrounding it, which yeah. I think is 
is very good if you're interested in a historical perspective. I'm actually quite surprised that Roman didn't love it. Well, that's the stuff I did like. <clears throat> and it's from what little I know about this this killer. Um, and I looked up a little bit. The sticking to the historical facts, at least so far that we've seen in the story, like this guy Raoul Furrier, Furrier, um, he's actually is the guy that set up Jews that were trying to escape. He actually did the initial setting up to send them to the butcher's apartment, um, Marcel Pitot, if that's how you say his last name. It's French. I don't know. Um, Pitot. And that was all corrected, even even to the fact, the address, and even to the fact of this one guy, when they're, this family's in their apartment and the husband looks out the window and sees this black smoke boiling out of Pitot's uh, chimney, that's actually mm-hmm. a recorded thing, and that's actually what first draw, drew attention to him. Off. But also, some of my disinterest was predicated on thinking that this was an unsolved murder. And I have mixed feelings about Alan Moore's From Hell, being that it's written from the perspective of having an idea of who the murderer was. Mm-hmm. And and we don't know for sure who it was. So I thought this was going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. And I had a little bit more of a love. Like, I don't know if I like that. I want... And so to hear that they actually were caught makes me more interested in this because I wasn't necessarily super interested in some person's fictional idea of who it could have been and then writing a story around it. Right. But knowing that there's actual factual basis for it, it does make me more interested in it. So what do you give it? Um, I'd give it a seven. I'm going to give it, gosh, I'm going to give it a eight. No, I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Uh, It doesn't quite reach the eight, but I really, I love World War II stories especially with Nazis. Yeah. And I love serial killer stories, and I really like the idea of someone this horrible doing these very personally terrible things to people in the middle of this gigantic disaster that was World War II. So you have, like, top-down shittiness from Hitler and, and the Nazi party, and then within that you've got somebody who's doing some fucked up things to to living people right. uh, totally separate from that. I got to admit, I mean one of the things interesting about Patois is, is or Petoit is that he was we assume smart enough to take advantage of the chaos and the the, the Nazis mm-hmm. to it's horrible, but if you kind of remove all emotion from Nazis and everybody fleeing the city it was pretty smart of him yeah. to like take advantage of these people trying to flee and they were willing to trust anybody because it's a chance out and then he you know murders tortures and murders them well that's what hh H. holmes was doing in chicago right like yeah. he was preying on young women moving to the city for their shot at the big time and he was taking them in and doing his thing yeah so like these are these are both times of of kind of instability and upheaval in a big city yeah, you know, so they're kind of like alpha predators in this weird... <laughs> yeah. So let's get a score from you and then talk about how creepy it is that I've heard Django talk about H.H. H. Holmes as many times as I have. Because, <laughs> like, what is it, buddy? What are you... What is... Come on. What are you trying to do? You trying to build a hotel? It's one trying of, to take advantage of my vulnerability? I got, I got a two-story hotel started right here. Oh, I'll get, I'll get a six and a half. Okay. Um, Jonathan Luna and Lauren Keeley put... Tw- out 20XX from Image Comics number one this week. <laughs> what did they do for it, Jeff? Has he ever been known as Johnny Moon? If not, he should be. I like that. 
there's Jonathan Luna and then his brother, because they do things as the Luna brothers, mm-hmm. the Lunar twins, the Moon twins. Is there something there? Father Moon and two moons. Yeah. You're making it about butts, aren't you? You're trying well, to make I it could. about butts. Could you want me to? No, <laughs> that's the whole family. It's a full moon. <laughs> that was good. That was better than I thought it would be. They had babies. <laughs> on the, the topic, new moons. On the topic of better than I thought it would be. Uh, 20XX by Jonathan Luna and Lauren Keeley from Image Comics. This, I have never particularly liked a Luna Brothers book. We did um, that, like, Fallen Empire. We talked about the first issue of that that yep. they most recently released. And that was just Jonathan with somebody else, too. Oh, maybe. It might have been, it been uh, Lauren. Nice. I can't remember. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> they had done... Girls, The Sword, Alex and Ada, mm-hmm. um, and I've never particularly cared for any of those. So I was uh, pessimistic about this book, and I made some passing comment about my pessimism on Wednesday morning, and Django mentioned that he actually quite liked it. So then I thought, oh, bean dip. Um, I sound like a jerk. And I read this and also liked it quite a bit more than I thought I would. Yeah, I thought I always approach – a Jonathan Luna illustrated book with an amount of kind of grumpiness because first 10 pages, I don't like his art. And then at some point I realized that this art is serving the story really, really well. Um, And of everything that you listed, I've read all of all those books. I know you're a Luna bro. Yeah. They, they don't look like books that I would enjoy that the main characters are usually, I don't know, just not characters that I would normally follow. And I, I've i really enjoyed almost everything of theirs that I've read. So, um, Makes it sound like a lunatic. Oh, Jesus, <sighs> Jesus Christ. Who? Huh? Superstar? What? The, so the conceit, the idea is that What's the idea? people get sick. Um, everybody's walking around this, the, the, their present wearing uh, filter masks so that they don't get germs. And this girl gets a call. She gets a promotion on her way in. She starts exhibiting symptoms of the disease, which are bleeding eyes is the main thing. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> is basically a death sentence. 99%. She, 99%. Yeah. She wakes up in the hospital afterwards and they're like, well, congratulations. You are part of the, the 1% of people that survived this. And uh, now she doesn't have to wear the mask because she's had the disease. And also, um, at some point in the next few weeks or months, she's going to develop powers. And she's going to be a sim, S-Y-M, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's she's got a contact in the sim community that she goes looking for. Maybe her cousin, I think it is. And uh, so she's going around to places in, this, in the sim neighborhoods looking for uh, her cousin. And, of course, people don't trust her because she's very obviously new to being one of this second class. Tell you what I liked about this was how well built the social structure with this disease was. Like, you know, we're not really keen to what's going on at all until she gets sick and almost surely is going to die and then doesn't die. And there's this amount of contempt that people seem to exhibit for people who didn't die, which is to say everyone is living fear of in, in fear of getting this illness because it's mostly going to kill you. And then there's this amount of like resentment that people who haven't gotten sick yet have towards the people who survived it because yeah. the people who survived it also then get the benefit of having some strange psychic or telekinetic power. 
and, and hers we find out in the end is holy shit yeah it's take your take your skin off your face yeah um <clears throat> and i thought that was real smart and it sort of harkens back to some stuff that has happened with like x-men mm-hmm. which is that people fear those they they have contempt for those that they that fear for possibly being better or stronger than themselves or getting to have a life that they couldn't because if I get that illness, I'm probably going to die. So fuck the people who survived it and now are stronger because of it. Right. And somehow also um, being able to turn them into second-class citizens, right? right? Because because they are the lower class in this. No no two ways about it, but they are way more powerful than you and right. me. Like in the beginning and, and the end, we see... Um, and maybe this is the general power that people get, but we see people throwing stuff at each other with telekinesis. Right. And I actually, as I was starting this, I was like, I almost stopped Rome and was like, look at this fucking panel. What's supposed to be happening here? This knife is spinning. They're not throwing that. They're not moving it with their hand. Yeah. Um, moving it with their brains, baby. Right. And, you know, it all starts to make sense. There's also that gorgeous shot of Anchorage where they yeah. clearly, like, built barriers outside this city to prevent the disease from getting in. And it's I just... a really well-built world. Yeah, and and for as kind of posed and mechanical as his art always is, mm-hmm. um, that's a great way of expressing it. It's like he has three D models of people that he moves around in the, the wood position he wants, and then draws it. Yeah, and they're and kind of expressionless. I don't think that it's super far off from Jamie McKelvey. Uh, a I lot agree. of Jamie McKelvey's art has this same sort of flatness. Yeah, like o- over almost overly slick look, and that that's not. A negative necessarily, but I wouldn't want to see Batman drawn like this. No, I'm real glad that he drew this one though, because I think it's I think it's great. The other interesting thing is that it's black and white. Yeah, I was going to say we didn't mention that. Um, between black and white and Jonathan Luna not not being the thing that pulls you in, that's a lot of barriers to read this comic. It is, and I actually think the black and white worked for it really well. Yeah, I yeah. and I like black and white comics quite a bit more, like Terry. Moore's Strangers in Paradise type of black and white comics than mm-hmm. uh, Walking Dead, <clears throat> right? Which is a, a way different feel to me, and I, I think in general kind of clunky. This is way more in that sort of Terry Moore, finely detailed, lots of subtlety to the environment. Yeah, it's just it was an interesting book that really defied all uh, preconceived notions I had about it, and was much better than I thought it would be. I don't know that I'll read the second issue unless you tell me it's real good. This issue has me definitely reading the next one. I tell you what, as I was starting it, the first third of it had this like real encroaching hopelessness vibe that I was not mm-hmm. into, and I was glad that it diverted pretty drastically from that. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, no, is this, like, hanging out in the final dying ashes of the world? And she starts to get sick, and she's like, take care of my cat. And I'm like, I can't do this right now. Like, take care <clears throat> of her fucking cat. What's going to happen to this cat? And I was like, yeah. I don't know. If this is, if this is like, just a sort of emotional torture porn that I'm not into it. And it didn't, it became not that at all, but I was worried that it was for the first like third or so. Well, that's just good writing, setting exactly. you up for the sadness that that, like the danger of that disease. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> um, so what did you give it? What do you, what do you give, give it an 20 eight. exit? You give it an eight? I think yeah. I give it an eight also. Yeah. It's a real, real solid comic. And uh, fuck, I mean, I read, I read that, that eternal empire, empire of the sun, whatever yeah, that eternal empire. I read six issues of that. That's a setting I don't give a fuck about. Yeah. Like, that's that's Django Poison. And I read the whole series every week that it came out. So, obviously, I am a, a Luna bro. He's a Luna bro. Yeah, I'd give it an eight as well. I think it's there's a lot of room for it to be 
even more enjoyed if if you're into that type of thing. <clears throat> Listen, we got to get away from those inferior. Uh, no, they're not. Sorry, they're great. The Luna Bros are great, but uh, in, in I mean, I'm no Django, but I think they're great. You know, <laughs> he is a Luna Brony. Oh, I like that term. Yeah, um, but Roman. Something horrible happened between this podcast <laughs> recording about the Inferior Five and the last one, which is this book, which was supposed to be 12 issues, which I don't know how they thought this book was going to make it 12 <laughs> it was issues. Like, that was it. Like, Martian Manhunter, I wouldn't even be surprised if it got canceled, and there's actually subscribers for that book. Hey, you think you could just barely chew this? <laughs> huh? Huh? Roman, Take a bigger bite. Roman. They made Silencer more than 12 issues. Come on. <laughs> That's true. All of those Age of Hero books. Yeah. Uh, that, that is those are new characters, game. though. Um, These are new characters, just with old names. <laughs> so, Roman, this book that you have loved has been truncated from 12 issues to six, and this is the fourth of six. How do you feel? I feel it's all part of the conspiracy. It's part of the invasion. Oh, no. I, I think, love I, when I, people I, build canceling into an overall narrative. Yeah, I think Dan DiDio is probably a Daniel. dominator. I don't think we need to bring his sexual proclivities into the evaluation of his comic book at all. Oh, I can't tag him on this episode either. <laughs> <laughs> he still listens every time anyway. He sits there with yeah. wine in his bathtub. His cat sits on the toilet, picking his nose, drinking his wine. What are these boys talking about tonight? The cat's picking its nose? No. How's Django it? just put his finger next to his nose for something. Oh, I oh, was saying, saying he was doing, doing cocaine? cocaine in his bathtub. Which, no. oh, oh. Just because I think that's hilarious, because I think your cocaine would probably get all wet and fucked up. Yeah, you'd have to eat it. Yeah. you drink your or own bath water. put it in water. your bottom. Oh. Man, get all, get all wet, you have to lick it off your shoulder. No one is listening to this podcast to hear about us you know, hypothetically talking what about if, how you get soggy cocaine in your butt. What if... So the Dominators, Dan Didio and his oh. diddly darn <laughs> dominating crew. Did he write this? Uh, no, it he was, runs DC. It was, Dan's yeah, he comics. runs DC. Keith Giffen wrote it. Well, Keith Giffen and Jeff Lemire, or Lemire. Yeah, can we get a like a finalized Jeff Lemire or Jeff Lemire? I don't know. Ask him when you interview Jeff him. Lemire. Lemur. Jeff Lemur. That's what we just call you around the shop. We just call you the old Indy Lemur. <laughs> we call him JL. We call him JL Justice People, Lemire. Justice Lemire. <laughs> So what's happening in this fucking book? <laughs> what are, you giving? are they going to be able to get an ending for this book together? In I, the I don't know because I mean they're still building the fact <clears throat> that there's the, the aliens and there's a a um, um, consortium. Is that the right word of aliens? Yeah. Oh yeah, collective, all, a conglomerate. Yeah, if you will. yeah. There's one of those wormy guys in the floating floating uh, fishbowl, the Guild of Span, I think was their name. But yeah, they're all behind this invasion. They're trying to get the Dominators to take over the Earth, starting in this little town. And there's a, a Starro that's blue, purple for some. Four issues in. What is this book about? It's, a, it's about a hidden, the hidden invasion. <clears throat> that is a continuation of the original invasion from 1988. If anyone was clamoring, I mean, like, this, <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad Dan's comics have their ear to the ground and they're listening for what people want. So then Gouliad's in a follow-up to the fucking banger, the sub banger blockbuster invasion from 1987 or whatever year. Django Starro's in this, and you have a yeah, big there, old starfish there, boner if I've ever met Yeah, you. there's a Starro, but except it's blue and purple, which we I don't think we've seen those colors on Let's Starro Let's ask our before. Starro expert. Django? I've never seen a blue and purple Starro. They're usually green. I have read every issue of this up till now. I haven't I haven't read this one yet, but I've been keeping up huh. with this issue, this series. I just love that, it, well, Keith <laughs> Giffen, his art, I love this. Django just made fun of me. The whole invasion is centered, the test run is kind of in this stupid little town full of these kids and there's an android and there's apparently they capture like b-list superheroes and throw them in here with some b-list villains to i guess test them 
and see what's going on. They mentioned the red bee in here. Is Giffen doing the art? Yeah. It's interesting. It is interesting art. It is not as rad as the Giffen art that Django keeps putting in my file. Oh, I'm going to keep shoving it in there till you got it all, buddy. But That's one of the interesting things about Giffen. His art styles are so different. He's got a big range. Yeah. It is. Is it good, Roman? I think so. I'm enjoying it. I've been lost for three issues. I'm, I'm kind of lost, but I'm enjoying yeah. it. Right. I'm enjoying, you know, like this critter shows up, and I think that was like the Martian Manhunter sidekick back okay. in the fifties. Okay, just um, a second. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get in that space. Let's find that space. What? Is it good? I think so. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. What is that? What is it about it? Like, I'm, how I, can you not know? It's. I mean, I get it because I have that. I have those things exactly. But I want to mm-hmm. hopefully to unpack that. Like. What are you liking about it? Is it good? I don't know, but I'm enjoying it. So what is this in un, unalienable Roman-esque quality to I'm, it? I mean, a lot of it's nostalgia. I'm enjoying Giffen's art. I'm enjoying seeing guys like the Dominators and the Coons show up and these other people like Tasmanian Devil and all these characters that we never see anymore. I forgot it was um, probably Inferior 5 number one where he started saying that word at us. That's, that's what <laughs> these guys are called, the, same, the guys with the tusk. I'm enjoying the mystery, not only behind this invasion, which, okay, we know there's an invasion and that's not a big mystery, but why is this this person maybe in the mask? What is he about, it about? Well, that's Sven um, Gulli. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was a double-page ad for the infected that you were on. I'm, enjoy- I'm wondering about the mystery of why, because like this one spoiler, Tasmanian <clears throat> Devil is revealed to not be Tasmanian Devil. He's a, ro- oh! he's, he's a robot. Dude, <laughs> I hope that none of my sort of gentle butt ribbing here. And how does it all tie in with what's going on with Peacemaker in Russia? Because the backup yeah. story, he at the end of that, he's like, okay, now to make it to Scottsdale, Arizona, or wherever this town is. I think that the purity with which you love a thing like this is a thing that I admire a great deal, and I I love to sort of tease you about it, but I have a, I just <laughs> I love it. Also, this there, there is a lot of shot. There's the Lemire yeah. art and the Peacemaker thing in the backup is awesome. The Peacemaker who Jango and I just confirmed on Wednesday, is who the comedian was based on in the Charlton characters. It's hard to create an analog for all of them. But oh, Watchmen. I thought we discussed that on a previous podcast. Probably. Uh, we discussed yeah. in a long time ago that the Pax Americana <clears throat> Peacemaker guy was not somebody that people thought he was. Oh. Anyway. But yeah, there's Andrew, a lot of nostalgia friend of the show. in this. Um, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, and pilot, sexy boy, too. The The... Rocket Red show up at the end of the well, they did the end of the last one oh. for speaking of more JLI, JL, JLA, JLE, yeah, JL. Keith, Keith Giffen, Demadius connections. Um, oh, you did, you beans. did. I'll, 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 uh, I'll give it a seven point five. Seven point five, very good. Yeah, um, that's funny. That issue is called "It's a Sinister Day in Our Neighborhood," a great reference to Mister Rogers oh. in the film "It's a Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood" that yeah. came out in the last couple of weeks. Everyone should go see. And continuing on that tone. I read Spider-Man and Venom Double Trouble number two by Mariko Tamaki and Guri Hiru. Is it wholesome? It's wholesome. Super wholesome. Uh, Raiden and I talked about the first <clears throat> issue of this. It's basically an all-ages book about Spider-Man and Venom being roommates. And and not Peter Parker and Eddie Brock, right? No, just in costume <laughs> all the time. Childish, fun, Saturday morning cartoon stuff. And at the end of the first issue, Venom switched bodies with Spider-Man. <clears throat> Because Venom wants to compete in like a greatest American warrior type obstacle course, but they don't let villains do it because the winner of it obviously gets. Well, I guess they don't have a name for it. That sucked. 
Um, but it's a giant, <laughs> super violent weapon that like slices and dices and manipulate matter at a level. And uh, so it's they just, don't want to give it to villains. They don't want to give it to villains. But it's like, <laughs> why the fuck is that the the thing for this greatest American warrior type triathlon competition? But there's also these great double page panels of action sequences, but that thing where you get like a, a wide shot of a whole bunch of environment and then you draw the same character many times throughout it showing them progress through it but in reality you're just seeing spider-man drawn nine times in this long page but kind of, kind of like that batman mikhail janin does it all Mikhail janin did yeah. it a lot yeah um and <clears throat> and i love that in general but it's done so well here and guri hero's art is just like very childish and fun and colorful and bulky and cute and but very proficient as well and it's it's just very fun we get half the issue with spider-man stuck in venom's body outrunning the green goblin trying to get a hold of spider gwen while realizing that venom is in his body competing on television and making him look bad and it's just it was so fun and so sweet and Man, this week's comics, like, I just feel like I got beat over the head by comics that were, like, drowning in word balloons. Like, this <laughs> week, more than any, I just, like, was like, holy fuck, like, let me look at a page and yes. have the visual story tell me. And uh, this one does that. And it, it does it because it's an all-ages book and there's not a lot of text in it, but it, I feel like, allows me to have a slightly more intimate relationship with it when I'm generating a lot of the plot instead of being shoved words into my brain. And it's just, yeah, this... Is hilarious and sweet, and if you like Spider-Man and Venom, it's a really good book, and it's a great book if you've got like a niece or a nephew or a sibling or something that you know is into comics and or into the idea of comics and doesn't isn't a super great reader. But it's it's hilarious and the visuals. I love this double page spread of the obstacle course, like before you get the the ten Spider-Mans on one spread. It's it's all so thought out. Like it's, there's no stock idea of just like, Oh, there's a building. Like everything right. makes sense. Like, Oh, that's a part of an obstacle course because you'd have to do this. Like there's a human being thought of in every physical space in that comic book. It's, it's really smart. What age range would you say this is for? I would say it's great for like five to 30. Okay. But I mean, it's got a, it's got a very low floor, which is awesome. Yeah. Like you could get kids on on it, but there's, there's a ton of room for adults to enjoy it as well. Yeah. It looks like a lot of fun. Um, but anyway, I give that issue like an 8.5 nice. and Roman, I think that you would really like it. I read the first one. Yeah. It's, it's just cute in a not gross way. <laughs> oh guys. Yeah, bud. Do you need to take a breather? Do we need to just pause it out for a second? Oh, I don't know. Do you need a burrito? I do. I need a I need a meatball sub. What'd you eat today? Uh oh, I had a really good pork loin sandwich at Stir Eat Food. Wow. When'd you do that? Right before my chiropractor appointment. At at what Colshin. Time? Oh, at like your chiropractor appointment at Colshin? <laughs> <laughs> I go uh, to the beer to get moving around. It was gosh. Yeah, it was a while ago. Coward. I am a coward speaking of cowards please did you read conan's serpent war number one i didn't because you're a coward exactly i knew it <laughs> but roman my man row daddy my man row 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 your boat all the way to the conan serpent shores what did you think about this and the valley of the worm mm. the shores of hyboria you know, you know the two of them together they sent me gently down the stream you butthole <laughs> <laughs> um 
Shut your butt. Remember Shut on, your butthole. <laughs> remember on Tuesday I asked you how come this Valley of the Worm, this True Believers Marvel reprint, had a Conan Secret War Zero on the top. We didn't know. Then I read it. Now I know. Oh, oh. Roman, I've never heard you talk that matter-of-factly ever was, in your life. That was like hot lava. nine-tenths nine of a chant. Yeah. No, 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 Roman, no, 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 no. He's getting no. to me. I just liked the way that you talked just then. Don't make him think that you were chanting. Okay, okay. It's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> it's not a bug. It's a broken brain. <laughs> but yeah, this Valley of the Worm, it was worth reading. It's a reprint of a Gil Kane, uh, Robert E. Howard, ooh, my, um, adaptation from Marvel in the early 70s. And it introduced Robert E. Howard, creator of Conan and Solomon Kane, and all these guys. This Red is his Sonya. very first story? Not his first story. It's just one of his <clears throat> stories from back in the day. This is the very um, first Conan issue? No, it's not. Oh, okay. It has nothing to do with Conan. It's a, a guy named James Allison is dying, and as he's dying in his deathbed, he recalls like a past lives because he can suddenly remember all of these past lives where he's been. Oh, it's like that issue heroes. Conan the Barbarian number eleven when he died and he kept dying climbing up the mountain. So he was no, a crawler himself. There is, there is a no one of his maybe some of his lives. He was like Sigurd and these different characters, um, Perseus, you know, Sigurd. that stuff. <laughs> but but as Niord, this fictional fictionalized character. He remembers this adventure he had where he goes and he meets one of the picks that Robert E. Howard is always talking about. And he has this adventure, fights this giant worm. It's really Look cool. at all the text on <clears throat> those pages. Oh, yeah, back in the good old days, they so they put so much text. Yeah, I don't uh, mind a lot of text if it's good text. Maybe it was good. Maybe That's they just point. they ran it's, out of ink because uh, they didn't draw Howard a shirt on him ever. Good. I liked it. I don't know how it would fly nowadays. But you know, with modern readers, <laughs> but but it was a good adaptation of his story. I assume I don't read the original story. Um, and he fights this the serpent Sapha, the great serpent, and that's the connection here with Conan's Serpent War. The first issue came out this week, and it turns out that first issue of Serpent War um, starts off also actually in Cross Plains, Texas, which is where Robert E. Howard lived and died. <laughs> oh, cute. It's his hometown. Is the art in this gorgeous? And. and the character from this story, Valley of the Worm, is also in this story, James Allison, and it starts off and he's remembering past lives. Is he dying again? Um, is, like, I don't it, remember uh, if he's is dying Is the first again. page in the same setting in both this of these the books? This is the first appearance of James Allison? No, this is. No, it's the first time oh. he's ever worn a shirt, though. <laughs> this is the first time James Allison is shirted? <laughs> he remembers the adventure with Satha, and that leads into the snake, which you find out later is set the okay. great serpent god snake I'm sorry I keep fucking with you while you're talking about this but I do have some serious questions for you <laughs> um, some of the art in this is gorgeous yeah it is they're, they're like they're jumping between different styles here um, yeah because we visit we see Conan and Moon Knight and some other Robert E. Howard creations Dark Agnes who I don't think has been in a comic book before that I first know appearance of. of Dark Agnes this and is the at, first Dark Agnes may, maybe um <laughs> <laughs> she's kind of the inspiration for Red Sonia, but she wasn't sexy. And she wasn't in a chainmail bikini. What are you bikini. saying about Red Sonia? She wasn't in a chainmail bikini, so Marvel created Red Sonia, <laughs> which is a name of a Robert E. Howard character. <laughs> I love when Roman laughs at something and it was okay. I get this. Well, yeah, they, cre- they took a name of a Robert E. Howard character, Red Sonia, but was spelled different, and but then changed, just kept the name and created the metal-clad bikini girl that we know, huh. warrior. And this... Warrior. And made her red-haired, like... like Dark Agnes. Agnes, who is a pirate woman? Uh, just a different warrior. Uh, I, 
This is the first story I've ever read with her in it. So she's not quite a pirate. I'm not sure what she is. Definitely a warrior. I forget what <clears throat> what age she's from. But we see these different... A Hyborian age. God. No, she's not. She's later. Oh, Dumbass. God, I'm coward. I'm stupid. They didn't, I should no. shut my butt she, off. She has, she has guns. They don't have guns in the Hyborian age. Well, it depends on what type of warrior she is. <laughs> What's happening? So they see so they see Moon Knight. All these characters that are related have dealt with snake villains before. So Moon. that's why Moon Knight's involved in here, because Set is an Egyptian god that was always set against. I have to. I have to go back into Set. this. When we were talking about this, when it came out, we were talking about the Serpent Crown, which is a. <clears throat> is that? Yeah. In here? That not yet, but I'm sure it will tie in because okay. the Serpent Crown, is uh, if I think if I remember the original story right, it's tied into Worshippers of Set, and that's why it's in a serpent configuration. That doesn't make any fucking sense. No, it does. And he no, was also... serpent heads aren't shaped to wear a crown. He's right, actually. I reject this whole <laughs> hypothesis. hypothesis. So, yeah, the, but the crown looks like a coiled serpent. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But and continue. it fits on humans. An interesting <laughs> thing about that and sort of this whole serpent character and, and like, in longstanding in Marvel mythos, it, Roman was telling me that there's the cosmic cube, but before the cosmic cube, there was this serpent crown. Yeah, or, or around the same time. Mm-hmm. Not story-wise, but right. it's, it was one of Marvel's big, important mystical maybe artifacts that right. could change reality. And, and I think that's cool because we yeah. haven't heard or seen it much yeah, ret- lately. Yeah, retroactively they made it the crown that the villain, what's his name, put on Namor's head originally that made Namor lose his memory and at the end of the Golden Age. Who is that villain, Roman? Django? I don't know. Who slayed that warrior? What? I don't know what anybody's talking about now. <laughs> Solomon Cain is back in that. Marvel Comics, oh. which I think is exciting. Praise the Lord. Solomon Cain, exactly. best he's, character. He's a Puritan character. He's very like God-focused <clears throat> and black and white and I like Old Testament. Cane. Old Testament. Well, he's a Puritan. Old Testament. He's got, yeah, he's got a cat cane, which I don't remember, but it's really cool. <laughs> Roman, you are a pure man yourself. What do you give all these things? I'm sorry we just just <laughs> laid a dookie on your chest that whole time. Dude, he's lucky I stay awake. When you say Solomon Kane to me, I fall asleep most of the See time. See the movie? Fuck no. <laughs> it's, on ne- it's on It's on Netflix right now. I fall asleep. It's on Netflix. Who plays Solomon Kane? I don't know, some dude. We just need to talk about the fact that when <laughs> Roman says it, it sounds like W-O-Y-E-R. Warrior. 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 No, warrior. Warrior. Warrior? Warrior, like warrior. a voyeur, but how do I say stronger. warrior? I don't know. What are you doing right now? One of the cool things is Dark Agnes and Conan both fight a giant snake with a golden mask on it, which is actually from one of the old Conan stories that's, from the early 70s. Actually, no, that's the mask that uh, they use for the Green Goblin in the first Spider Man movie. That is, I don't like it at all. Yeah, I didn't turn like it around and turn the page. It's please. pretty terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. Snakes shouldn't Ooh. have faces like that. So, what do you give them? And please give the first appearance of Warrior Agnes a score as well. <laughs> um, <clears throat> boy, you know, I think I'll give it. I think I'll give it an eight. I really didn't expect this to be interesting. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be interesting at all, and I'm like, wow, I'm I'm curious to keep reading this. <laughs> It's got snakes with a scary golden mask on their head with their mouths open. I didn't think that there could be a more <laughs> Roman book than Inferior 5, number 4 of 6. Well, you but, get all uh, these puritanical warriors together. Uh, part, part, of that sco- part of that score is just because it surprised me so much that it's actually interesting. It was a very good moment when G- Roman gave that score and Django and I looked at each other with a genuine look of absolute shock. <laughs> like... 
<laughs> what, what was the second part of your question about oh, scoring? Fuck if I know, <laughs> man. It ran away. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. So it, it's that good, huh? Was, well, he gave it an eight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's that eight's, good. Eight's respectable. Like, yeah. And anything that one it of was us... actually written by Bendis. Jokes on <laughs> oh, you. No. You gave him an eight. Uh, wait, wait. Who wrote this? I would, up. I would say that anything wow. that one of us gives an eight, the rest of us should probably have more curiosity about if we hadn't read it. Right? <laughs> Except like, for if it's Roman. Well, <laughs> not that he's not great and in touch with it, but it's just that he is also in touch with a part of interests and fandom that I'm not. So I trust that his eight is going to line up more with mine than his ten. It's like when you start jerking off about serial killers, just because it's making you uh, make make you want to build a hotel to kill people. Big old in, rubbery one doesn't mean that I <laughs> need to think that. I'll show you. You'll understand in the end, Jeffrey. Uh, Jeffrey. <laughs> I love when he does that Jeffrey voice. Django. They finally did a thing. They sued him. They got it out of there. Dead Rabbit became Dead Eyes. They reprinted months apart the first two issues of that. It's been a year since we probably had a new issue of this series. Dead Eyes, what once was Dead Rabbit. Number three, Jerry Duggan and Neil McRae. John McRae. John McRae. (laughs) Every single time that you guys talk shit on Jerry Duggan. Pronounce Jerry. I think of this book because... I don't ever talk shit on no, Jerry Duggan. But but there's there's a lot of Wait, am I thinking of somebody else? No, but I have said several times he's there's never been a Jerry Duggan book that I am super pumped yeah, to read. Yeah. That's that's what I mean. I, I don't mean that you you, you don't, don't you don't like, say he's bad. But I just I don't have a book <clears throat> yet. He hasn't he hasn't done a favorite book of yours. Or even one that I like a lot. This, I guess I'm shitting on him. I really, really like this book. And whenever you guys talk about that. That's what I think of is how good this comic has been. Um, it's so in the first two issues, you know, we're following this guy who uh, used to be kind of a superhero, beating up the mob and stealing their money. He quit maybe a decade or two ago, and uh, now his wife is super sick, and because of the American insurance scam system he and and medical costs he's going back for one more job and things spiral out of control like super simple setup but the just the the jokes in this and the way that he fights and the there there are some really interesting ways that he takes care of the gangsters in the hospital um all of it is is totally over the top and and goofy but like he brings the the thug into the um, MRI room and uses the magnetism in the MRI machine to Django panels to mess him up. Um, and he, I don't know, the the whole thing. Uh, he he turns on the nitrous oxide in the hospital room at, to incapacitate the bad guys. So he comes in pretending to be a doctor. He turns on the nitrous oxide, and then he gets caught as he leaves. They send one guy after him. He takes care of him. And when he comes back to the room, everybody, including his buddy, is super high and laughing their asses off on nitrous oxide. And he's got a, an oxygen mask and he beats them all up. And I just thought, like, that's a fucking cool way to, to <laughs> use your surroundings in a hospital. Like, my favorite part of the Born Identity movies is when he's in a, he's in a building and he's got all kinds of bad guys closing in. And he's just got to use his surroundings against them. So he's like you know, smashing all the buttons on the elevator or grabbing a, a fire hose and, and fighting somebody that? with that. The first one. Mm-hmm. Like he's in a, an embassy or something in the first one or a bank and he's got to escape. And just like 
he sees the room in a way where some things turn into weapons and some things turn into obstacles. And he dispatches all the bad guys with those on the fly as he's going from room to room. And this had that same kind of feeling. I actually, I, uh, I like hearing you say that because my brain actually kind of sees action and sort of stops <clears throat> there. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to hear someone who likes action in a way that they can perceive subtle differences. Not even probably that subtle. That's probably a big difference. But I yeah. can see how that is interesting and cool. Whereas my brain kind of sees it and just stops at like, we're going to run and throw and make a noise and go. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the case with a lot of action. And yeah. I think that that's why, you know, like my friend Michelle takes a nap during the car chase scene. Mm -hmm. And if you do that in a movie like Ronan, you miss out on a big, big, awesome way of doing a car chase scene. Mm -hmm. If you do that in uh, one of the Fast and Furious Bunk movies, you've just kind of missed part of the movie. Like yeah. that's, you're, you're there to watch close-ups of people shifting gears and stepping on pedals. But this one and Born Identity and some scenes in like the transporter has a great scene where he's fighting somebody with a fire hose hmm. and that and that's that's silly right like it's I mean, the idea it's, it's that you're just, telling me the transporter is worth watching is silly yeah it's just like a a, a one-on-one -on -one fight with a dude but the way that the choreography works in it and the way that he's using this this tool that's around him to beat a guy up and tie him up all at the same time is more interesting than swinging fists and i think that this book does a lot of that and i think that the the social commentary in here is not subtle. Um, it's really heavy-handed. Like uh, in, in the first page, the nurse is talking to this lady who's sharing a, a hospital room with the guy's wife. And he's asking for the the Wi-Fi password. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. You have to ask for premium uh, premium billing for that. So like they're charging people in the hospital for the Wi-Fi. So like that's not subtle. It's super in your face. But it's not pretending to be subtle. Right, it's It's right. a little bit like the the political and social commentary in here where it is is super focused and almost like a looney tunes plot um, give it? i give this what? an eight did uh, and the last issue if i remember right his wife found out that he's being dead rabbit or dead eyes again is there anything it's been a long goddamn time since i read that was, it, was I, she in this <clears throat> issue like confronting him about that she's in this but he's just kissing her goodbye in the hospital room hmm. Um, I, I should probably reread the first issues because I remember really liking them. That's why I picked this up because this is the really first of the new ones. It's a really tough spot too because yeah. they asked everyone to send those comics back because of legal issues and then they reprinted those first two but like nobody ordered many of those because they'd already stocked those and sold them to the people that wanted them. So now there's not really any opportunity for people to jump on from the beginning yeah. because the first two issues have been under-ordered or sent back. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's in a tough spot. So I'm glad to hear that you still like it and that you're still reading it. I'm really impressed with it. Okay. That, yeah, yeah, that's that's cool to hear um, because I remember how excited he was about it at Comics Pro two years ago. Yeah, both, um, both of them. The... Uh, it was, at, it was at the Image. Analog. It was at the Image Expo where John oh, yeah. John McRae came out in a Dead Eyes mask and tried to do like the onstage interview banter oh, cool. in this super sweltering mask. That's cute. Uh, yeah, I Solid Eight. I think uh, it's it's for fans of. Fuck, I don't even know this. This comic is, it's not defying a genre, but it's a different comic than what you think. Okay. Now, we're going to talk one more book before we go into Buckshots and then get out of here with Batman. But uh, uh, Again? Can we ever stop doing <coughs> Batman 
at the end of an episode? Oh, well, let's um, talk about X-Men number three by Jonathan Hickman <laughs> and Lionel Yu or Lionel Yu. Um, I read this issue and I thought, dang, a lot of people are not going to like this. But what it made me realize is that sassy, opinionated, geriatric patients are a through line in Jonathan Hickman's work. <laughs> like, Dying in the Dead is about that. Secret has that going on. Manhattan yep. Projects has that going on. Um, even, huh. like, S.H.I.E.L.D. to some extent is a lot of older <clears throat> people. Like, he throws effective old... I, I, that's a really recurring theme in his books is old people who have enough vantage point of the universe that they want, they can get fed up and they want to do something about it. And he writes them as people who still have agency. Yeah. And this made me realize like that's in a lot of his work. It also is like right in his like so wry, dry sense of humor <clears throat> that it's almost not funny, but you know that he thought it was funny while I was writing it. And I really like that. Like, a lot but this was like i felt me being the only person excited about hawkeye or sorry hickman i just opened up a hawkeye ad i felt me being the only person excited about hickman's x-men uh while i was reading this so yeah it's it's gone from like i reading this i was like yeah like you know everyone's loving these hickman books you know with those house of x and powers of 10 and and now it's gone. It's getting more and more back into that spot of like, oh, Jeff's that guy yelling about Hickman in the corner again. Um, was my feeling about it, which I'm fine with. But I, I love this. So up my alley, but I can see it feel like it's getting further away from other people's interests. I'll tell you what I really like about this series so far, and what's going to keep me reading it, <laughs> regardless, because I'm I'm on the verge of. Well, I've already decided not to read a handful of the other X Men books. I don't want you clowns reading like, the Hickman books anymore. Well, no, no. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad that it's I not making me keep information in my head from issue to issue. Mm -hmm. So we were talking a, a, before this came out about how there was going to be one-shots. Mm -hmm. And I think you were worried about it being one-shots. My my worry <clears throat> was that the beginning of his Avengers run was also meant to be one-shots. Uh -huh. The beginning of his Avengers run, like issues 4 to 12, are not very good. Okay. So I think these are great. And, and I think these are great. And reading these one month apart, right? Or is it is it two it's weeks? It's like whatever three or it four is. weeks. Yeah. I'm I'm really enjoying not having to adjust to where we're at in this world every time. Um I thought that the the old ladies using uh S word and A word for swears was a little cute, but by the end I, I thought that the joke kind of paid off and and I liked that he also used it to kind of set the characters apart because mm -hmm. um, there's kind of the, the prissier older lady who's saying a word and then the other the the leader's like hey a word means ass opal down to the infographic at the end talking about these four women and the real subtle nuances in their relationships like best friend <clears throat> of opal best friend with augusta uh -huh. she thinks she's best friend with opal but isn't doesn't need friends doesn't want like there's a just, it's the thing I love so much about Hickman, which is that you're letting me in on an idea that you have fully formed, and yes. I like to be a part of it, and I'm grateful to be a part of it, and horticulture is that. I really like that he's gone from this giant, like, m like macro story down to really small stories with this. Not even just in, like, uh, plot, which was 12 issues of plot versus one issue of plot, but 
we're, we're focusing on a pretty small number of characters and pretty small things that are happening right. here. It's like, here's a quick little adventure. And, and they don't feel throwaway, but they feel bite-sized. Oh, I guess. And, it's, and it's so like it's so like the second act of his Fantastic Four run when he introduced the four cities, and like he slowly, naturally introduced these concepts mm-hmm. that felt like throwaway things that were all going to build towards this huge thing. Like that's clearly what this is. Yeah, but um, he didn't really have time to do that in House and Powers, right? So like House and Powers, like. Like open wide, we're gonna we're gonna shove a fire hose of shit of creativity like, in your like fucking guts. information and and storytelling through you in twelve weeks. Okay, you got it. Let's slow down and read these. And part of me really really appreciates. I know that not everyone <laughs> loves the nature of House and Powers of being a big sort of story seed for the other stuff that's coming in this series and the other series. I really like that because I know that this book is not even getting to the stuff that I'm really excited for it to get to yet. I know mm-hmm. that's all coming. And so I'm not, I'm, there's not a part of me that's like worried, like, oh, is this going to be good after we cover this? It's like, right. oh, now I'm just like in the, the cream of an Oreo, which is my least favorite part. Um, <laughs> to like, it's, there's like, or I'm glad we're getting stories that I enjoy and we still haven't gotten to the stuff that I can't fucking wait for. So, you want the meat of the Oreo. Yeah, I like the meat. I like that full slab of roast beef that's in there. Right between the grounds. So, Roman, I know you weren't a fan. You seeded it earlier in the podcast of the, the S-word stuff. What did you think of this issue as a whole? I like your use of seeded there when we're talking about Krakoa. Yeah. Thank you. And Earth. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> what was the question? Honestly, well, what were your feelings on all of it? You didn't necessarily love those old ladies, but you know what else was going on? You know, I, I had a similar thing, I think, to you where in the beginning I was a little I – was, I was like – I thought it was – actually, I thought it was the original Marauders, the cyborg team from Australia coming yeah. in to – to hurt them, and so a total surprise about these septuagenarians. Um, yeah, I didn't like the S word, A word thing because I, it, yeah, it was too cute, cute, and it never stopped being that for me. Because like every time they did it, I was like, why are they doing this? Every, but it was everybody... one lady who talks like that, right? And, and was maybe it? the I, other I, ones are kind of making fun of her if they're using it. Oh, okay, that's, that's I, the, I wasn't. That was I my read. Okay, I didn't get that. I thought they were just all doing it, and I didn't know why. I might be wrong because I was like, well, they're all, <laughs> all adults. Why are they using this? Code. Plus, they're from a time where those words are so inappropriate, Roman. You do have to censor yourself. But I know that you're between those two generations, between uh, eighty-year-olds and yeah. But why would they? Why would these women do it? Because they're like eighty. They're from a generation where it's not appropriate to say. My grandmother was a cusser, and she was like ninety something when she died. Well, I know a lot of old people who don't swear. I know people who are even like fifty who won't swear and talk like this. Yeah. Well, I myself, I don't swear. I love that about you. Yeah. Um, There's a purity. Plus, it annoyed me sometimes because I couldn't figure out what word they were talking about. (laughs) S is for shit. A is for ass. There was one that I didn't know what they were talking about. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I ended up being really interested in this group, uh, the the horde horde culture. Um, And I really liked the fact that Sebastian Shaw was finally – they finally used his character the way – he used to be with Claremont writing him and stuff where, you know, he's aristocratic and sleazy and and threatening because we haven't seen that yet from him so far. So I liked that. There was only like one page of it. but Did you read um, Marauders this week? Not yet. Okay, I was curious. Because it comes after Sebastian. this, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just yeah. all a Sebastian Shaw issue. So oh, I'm, good. I'm curious. Cool, because I always liked him because he's, he's like the slimy Sean Connery mutant. <laughs> I don't know Bad him guy. well enough to know if it was like correct with, you know, internally correct with how he's been presented in the past. Yeah, so and also he's kind of in some 
Sleazy Little gets in a little, like, kind of, like... Horticulture. Horticulture. Yeah, digs on them, but at the same time, little hints of going, well, you know, I don't... (laughs) got real handsome sideburns in this one. (laughs) He does, and that's the other thing. He's supposed to have... Him and Wolverine have the best sideburns in Marvel Comics. I think you're really going to like Marauders, then. Cool. Good, good. Um, And I ended up liking this group. I'm, I'm... it's fun to see a, another group out here that they want to take over <coughs> Krakoa or destroy it um, for their own purposes. My biggest problem with this series so far, I think, has been that I just don't really want to read stories about Scott because he's an asshole. Yeah, and kind of a dummy. I don't. I don't like Scott either. Like, <clears throat> there's not really a run where I, I love his iconography. Like I love the look of he him, super and the leader cool. of the X-Men, but he's like Leonardo. From the Ninja Turtles, but it, I mean, it's never even kind of my favorite. It's kind of the point, right? Right. Like he's he's a little more like a, a real person who's full of himself rather than a, a comic book cartoon character. I give this one an eight point five. Um, I think the art's great. I think the story's great. Um, yeah, loved it. I give it a seven and a half. I'll give it an it. eight. It was it's... one of my favorite issues of this. Since House and X, or yeah. House and Powers. That's cool. I'm, I'm glad that you, you dug it. Um, Django, you've got 90 seconds all to yourself. Go. All right. Well, I read Lois Lane number six of 12, Event Leviathan Aftermath. It deals with Lois's dad's death, which I think happened in uh, the last or the second to last issue of Event Leviathan. Um, and it's flashing between her remembering growing up and being a goth girl. Uh, with fishnet gloves and uh, coming home late and dealing with her super military dad um, all the way through pretty recent events in her life and her interactions with him. Um, And it's flashing between that and her at his funeral. And uh, goddamn, sitting at street food, uh, that was was a rough minute for me. Uh, Really, really good writing from Bendis. Daredevil, uh, number 14, Through Hell. Um, This is really, still really good. Um, there's two artists in here. It bothered me less than it bothered you when we talked the other day, Jeff, the, the art transition, partly because they used the sub artist for a specific scene rather than just throwing them in. Mm -hmm. I was a little bothered that the girl daredevil cheated on her husband with is super hot in this. And what I liked about her before was that she wasn't, I really liked Ian Fleming's James Bond. Um, it's hardly a James Bond story. He's in the very first three pages and the very last page, um, and the rest of it's just an art crime story. But there's some cool cool ways of dealing with that. I do think the art in that was a crime. Uh, Marauders, pretty good. Almost done. Ruby Falls was fucking great. <clears throat> Lois Lane, I would give... Uh, God, I don't know what's going on in half of this book. Half of this is is like Bendis like in its sort of decompress. Ra- well, just like rapid fire information that you don't have quite enough context for yet. Um, but I'm gonna give it an eight and a half because it made me feel feelings. Daredevil number fourteen, I would give that a seven and a half. James Bond, I'm gonna give that a seven. Um, I just really like the the way that he was hiding out in the background the whole time um, and letting these other people solve the crime for him. And there's there's just a really interesting way that they reveal it. And it made me go back and reread or look for these reveals throughout the issue. I thought that was really well done. Uh, Marauders, uh, 
God. Uh, six and a half. I care less than I did before. And Ruby Falls gets an eight. Jeff, thing. go. I've still got a copy at home. Um, well, I just want to use this minute and a half to talk about James Bond by Vita Ayala. Um, no, I don't. That was a joke. I was just goofing him up. <laughs> uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Tangerine Ninja Turtles <clears throat> number one, Boom Comics. That did exactly what you would expect in exactly the way that you would expect it. <laughs> And was a little bit better than you'd think. Um, but just like these two heroes meet up and they've got to be against each other. Oh, wait, no, we're going to learn that we're buddies. But like, I love both the franchises and it was really good. Excalibur number three by Teeny Howard. I did read. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on in this series I don't care about. But I really like the apocalypse stuff. And there were a couple pages of awesome dialogue with apocalypse reaching out to like a young mutant in a really interesting way. I, I loved that. And then it was unfortunately like swept away by then becoming a, a part of the story that I just don't care about. But I do love reading the apocalypse stuff. Marauders, yeah, I don't know. I have a, the cover's great. Um, it was all about Sebastian Shaw and his son being brought back through the Krakoan revival process, who I don't know anything about his son. But it is all just Sebastian Shaw <clears throat> scheming and doing stuff behind the scenes and talking about the the bishops and the knights and the rooks or whatever of all of these things in the the hellfire organization and i don't know anything about that stuff and i'm very interested in it um it it, it did it answered some of the stuff that was kind of complained about the last issue which i don't know about the motives this is ironing some of that <clears throat> stuff out I, Django said i do think it is the same artist but it has a way different it's got a different level of polish to me. Like, if I were to compare this to the last two, like, it's just, it's very different looking to me. Roman, did you loan Sebastian Shaw your shampoo? He's got rich, luscious hair. We, we, made, we made a little financial deal. Oh, are you getting those old old guy drugs? I, I don't want to go In into it too far. Oh, but. man. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I give uh, Excalibur a 6.5. I think that if you're interested in the type of stories that it's telling, that you will like it. I don't think that it's poorly done. I'm interested in the broad strokes of it. I don't love the execution, but I, there are some good things happening in it as well, and the art's not bad at all. Um, I did. I read most of it. Like, I skipped just a couple pages, everybody. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm proud of you. And then Marauders, I would give... We don't have a ton of time between Tuesday and Thursday. You know, you got to right. pick certain right. books. <laughs> We're prepping for this Matt Rosenberg interview. I almost read an entire trade paperback of his work today. What if it doesn't happen? then that'll be like Matt Fraction coming to the store. All sorts of things that happen in the comic industry. They just fall through the cracks. Marauders, I yeah, I don't know. Seven to a 7.5. Uh, Roman. And, and stick with that score because I'm, I'm regretting my eight Bones for game. whatchamacallit. Are you? I kind of want to take it back. Was it too high? It was too high. Do we, let's fix your scores, No, bud. fuck him. He oh. already chose it. Yeah, I we already chose fuck it. fuck him so. if we could. Yeah, but oh, well, thanks. He smells but, like <laughs> beef and earth. Yeah, beef I'm, and earth. I'm kidding. You, what are you going to revise I, I would it to, I would, I would give it a, um, what did I give? i give it an eight. I'd give it a, I'd give it a seven. I don't actually. even remember what book you're talking about. This one. Oh, Serpent War? Yeah. A seven. Yeah. Well, it's hard because you probably like that not as much a as seven Valley Serpent. of the Worm, but I bet you like seven this for OG Serpent. True Believers Valley that of the Worm. That was awesome. Yeah, so. I and mean, that Gil Kane Worm Monster is awesome. It's even got nipples. All right, a minute and 30, nipple Jesus. guy. Go. Nipple guy? <laughs> a minute and 30. Uh, Savage Avengers number eight. <clears throat> was great. That rhymes. Because um, last issue, Conan and his wandering has he's in modern time in this storyline. He ends up in Latveria. 
meets up with Dr. Doom. And what's great about it is, unlike this cover suggests, they don't fight. They never get in a fight. Doom doesn't try and, like, contain him in a force bubble or whatever. Or whatever. Conan has a uh, amulet Doom wants. And they so he makes a feast for Conan, and they sit down, and they start talking, and there's just great dialogue. Conan asks him why he covers his face, and Doom tells him I was wounded. And Conan says, oh, so you're vain. And, <laughs> and Doom ends up taking off his mask because he realizes my, this will make Conan trust me more. One of my favorite non-Hickman Doom moments ever. Nice. Yeah, it's great. And then later on, Doctor Strange shows up because he's also fought this wizard, Kulan Gath. That's Conan's foe. And they go adventuring, and it's great because Doom and Strange are intellectually talking, oh, we got to be strategic and plan. We should do this. And Conan's just like, and fighting with his sword and yelling back at them to do things like because he doesn't care who they are. There's, you know, follow me and pick up the wounded. And it's just awesome. <laughs> and Doctor Doom number three, which yeah. is also great because yeah. oh, that's yeah. Doom and Mephisto arguing and fighting and debating each other, trying to top each other. Tell me more about it. it. <laughs> it's, it's just fun. This is classic Marvel stuff. They're in hell, um, which, of course, involves Doom's mother. Dang, guys, I forgot to set the same timer as Jeff. Oh. It's a different alarm. My phone died while I was buckshotting, probably because I started talking about X-Men and went for 30 minutes oh, too long. Okay. <laughs> and just briefly, the, you'll like this. Mephisto makes Doom a deal, of course, that <clears> he's <throat> like, okay, I'll let you have what you want. If you can convince your first lover, who you condemned to hell because you wanted more power, if you convince her that you deserve to go back and live. <laughs> Does he do it? So then Doom has to go do that. I'm not going to tell you. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> Savage Avengers, I will actually, number eight, I will give that an 8.5. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor Doom, God, I'm going to give that an, I think that's going to be an 8.5 too, actually. Nice. A gooey really duckless good. episode, everyone. No tens this week. Uh, we still haven't talked about Bat. Oh, Never mind. He hasn't, I haven't read uh, it yet. He hasn't read it. It would probably be my tail, I guess. We got to get out of here. So let's talk about Batman <clears throat> number 80. Chlorf. <laughs> 80 gaff and a thirst. 80 Chlor. <laughs> I want to get a Schlee thing with there. Uh, <clears throat> by uh, Tom King, penultimate issue. Michael Jenning did the cover, but uh, our just Papcast favorite, Jorge Fornes. Papcast has been talking excitedly about Jorge Fornes since he showed up at Hot Lunch Special like a year and a half. Like, we've got to be on that tip. Like, we we got dumb about that guy real early on. And this is Fornes kind of aping Mikhail Janin. Yeah, yeah, the, and, the colors of Bane and stuff. And every once in a while, um, kind of pulling an Eduardo Riso, which he's not super far from to begin with, but, right. but the... His art in this is, because of the format of the comic, it's not real consistent, and I love it. Yeah. Like, not consistent in a really good way. Um, So this starts with Batman and his dad squaring off, getting ready to fight, just like the last issue ended on. Cliffhanger, the last issue, yeah. And then it jumps backwards in time from the perspective of Bruce's dad to tell us why he arranged this entire thing, why he created the city of Bane, why he, um, like, the, he, he's been the mastermind be, behind this whole thing. And the first bit of resolution that we get out of it is who climbed out of the pit about six issues ago. Yeah. Right? Roman, do, you haven't read this yet. Do you have any interest in leaving the room? Maybe just stepping aside to read this quickly while we talk about it. Do you want to not have stuff spoiled? Because, Maybe. like Django's starting yeah. to say, 
what this issue does <clears throat> is it does what seemed like impossible a week or two ago, mm -hmm. which is to justify how Thomas Wayne, Batman's dad, could be being such a dick <clears throat> to him. Also, do you oh. see the the city here is like the Bane mask? Yeah, typography. I'm gonna keep this one a surprise for me because I'll read it tonight after the podcast. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> so, yeah I'll, step I'll, out I'll, of the room I'll for a second, out, my good yeah. buddy. But yeah. don't leave because we still want to talk to you. Right, I'm not gonna leave. Um, well, we can shout at you if you want to go downstairs, right? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, you don't want to hear. You don't want to hear none we'll of. Stay this. in the yeah. pap papatorium. But go read this book if yeah. you want to. Oh, just, yeah, there's some downstairs. Get the fuck out of my house. Um. Yeah, this is. I just I was really, you know, it the the first time that Thomas Wayne showed up, Justin expressed some amount of like. I don't know. How did we bring this other dimensional character over here? And how did we get that? How are we going to justify that happening? I felt the same. And and I was skeptical about how they were going to do it. But I kind of did a Hickman thing where I was like, he's good. Yeah. He'll do it. Just trust him. And by the end of this issue, <clears throat> I did feel that way. But Up even halfway through it, I didn't know if I was going to. Up to two issues ago, I wasn't sure that I trusted him to do it. Yeah. Like... That, that felt like a really big leap. But the way that this issue presented his journey is through a series of backwards flashbacks. So first you get him crawling out of the the pit and then you get him talking to Bane and then earlier, you get him talking. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, every, it's earlier, earlier, earlier. He's talking to the Joker. And like we even get Batman and Superman at the fair yeah. from our favorite Superman issue of that run, right? Yeah, 37 or whatever. And it goes back, and you see Bruce in, uh, propose to Catwoman. Like, it just goes back and back and back. And you watch... As Thomas Wayne is taken to our reality from the reality he was originally from in Flashpoint. Right, right. And and you see him, uh, while he was in his Flashpoint world, he's befriended Catwoman, and she's kind of become his Robin. Um, and you just... I don't know, man. By the, by the end, and, and you you and I may have very different reads on this, but by the end, I just mm -hmm. felt I felt kind of bad for Thomas mm -hmm. seeing his totally logical journey to try to break Batman like he did. Because he's trying to break the bat. He's not trying to break Bruce. He's trying to pull Bruce out of Batman he's and, to save and save his Bruce. Son. Yeah. And that is that's a that's a laudable thing for him to want to do he's doing it in a really shitty way right right so like he's doing it in a super villain kind of way and that's the bummer and it made me wonder like how many parents have with their best intentions pushed their kids that much farther away and even us fuck as their kids up even more business owners with our employees yeah like i Loving Mr. Rogers. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, having seen that movie. I think about him. Every day of my life when I'm interacting with people, Django, like here at the store, I think about Mr. Rogers. That's a big reason that why I act the way I do is the way that I do. And and a part of that is that I can't – I'm not a parent myself. But even if I was, like I don't feel like you can judge people for their parenting. Like I just – everybody – I choose to believe that on some level, everyone is doing the best that they can. Yeah. But everyone has such a different idea of what it is to be a parent. And that is shaped by their relationship with their parents. Mm -hmm. And it was totally believable from the way that I look at the world that this guy, the way that he is trying to teach and protect his son is by 
Like, he won't stop being Batman. He won't stop being Batman. Like, fine. I will have to break you and show you that Batman is bad and you need to stop doing it. But it's also doubled by the fact that he's lived a life as Batman and he's miserable right. and he's inundated <clears throat> with loss. So he knows that it's a terrible thing to do. And there's just so much compounded damage on that character. It makes it makes it make sense. And I truly didn't think that I was going to be able to believe that his motivation was pure and not just because of a storytelling thing that it needed to have happen. Well, it's also a really good example of, um, you know, the old saying that nobody is the villain of their own story. Right. Right. And so Thomas Wayne in this is not the villain. Right. As far as he's concerned. And after reading this, I'm not sure that he is. Yeah. You know, like he's, he's done some really shitty things, but he's doing it for a good reason. And, and Tom King has a couple of kids, 10 or yeah, nine, actually, nine or 12 years old or something. Um, reading this issue, I could just kind of feel his dad. No, I, I could feel where he would, be. where he would get this idea. You know, like I'm writing superhero comics. I'm going to write what I know. Cause that's, that's what he does. Right. He writes about PTSD and, right. and like everything that he's done so far has been kind of veiled personal experience right. wrapped up in, in capes. And this to me, felt like his greatest fear turned into 84 issues of Batman. Yeah, and that's what I meant, sorry. Feeling his dad energy, you know, like his his inner dad. dad, Like, getting out, like... And actually, you bring that up as a really fantastic point. Like, I... That's one of the things I love so much about Tom King's writing Mm -hmm. is that it is such a visceral representation of what's going on inside of him. Yeah. there You don't have to, like... even Even Grant Morrison, rather, I have to, like... You know, what what aspect of your past or like what parts of your life is this coming from? And then Tom King's work is just right there, you know, like, and he doesn't keep it a secret. And that's kind of how I try to live my life is just, I want to be an open book to people so they can use me as a, as a way to learn. And I think that, um, this issue, this run and Tom King's kind of entire body of work does that exact same thing, which says like, here's who I am. This is my damage. And here's how I'm working through it through art. Yeah. And, uh, I, I really love that. And I think this was a fantastic issue. Yeah. I I give this a 10. Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, buddy. I I can't a find 10? a single flaw with this issue. Um having read 83 other issues plus three annuals um and all of Flashpoint and looking forward to reading the three issue Flashpoint Azarello book to go along with this. And fucking not being able to wait for the fucking Batman Catwoman issues mini oh, like yeah. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, this this whole thing is just absolutely spectacular and and surprised me as much as I've liked the whole run and trusted Tom King to pull this off. I can't believe he did it in an issue with no exposition. Told backwards. It's told backwards. It's told with Mostly action. It's one page vignettes or less. You know, you ever seen the movie Memento? It's Memento mixed with the annual that he did like a month ago. I think that this works really well if you're not dissecting the comic. Mm -hmm. And I think this works really well if you are dissecting comics and, and kind of pulling things apart and trying to see the gears behind everything. Because this is, this is, what is it? The, the crown gear? There's one gear in a watch that just like everything starts working, right? I, I don't know, but you've read Watchmen a lot more than me, so. Um, oh, 
God, there's watches and watchmen. <laughs> um, I would give this one like a 9 or a 9.5. It's way up there for me. It's not quite a 10. But I think that this issue, I think I have a hard time evaluating this one possibly as a 10 because I think it's so contingent on the next issue. For me, like this sure. one, like this is such a linchpin issue. It kind of is so integral that it's redefining the last 15 issues for me. Mm-hmm. And... I'm, I need to sort of see how it lands with the next issue. But regardless, I would say Django knows how much I love Grant Morrison's Batman run. But I, I think that this Tom King Batman run is probably my favorite run of Batman that I've read. And, and wow. like not mini series and not shorts like Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns. Those are, right. those are separate things. Um, but in terms of like a long run that a writer has on a character, I think this is my favorite. I think this is over Grant Morrison, which is pretty big for me to say. Roman, you're back. I'm back. Oh, it's good to be back. Did you read Batman 84 down there? No, I started to, but then I had to go to the bathroom. It's pretty good. Well, we're in. We're in. Let's get out. Let's get it. Yeah, for a long one. I'm Jeff. Thanks, everybody, for uh, eating our cinnamon-flavored donuts. I really can't wait to put some blueberry frosting on them next week, and it's going to be maybe your favorite thing you've had. That's fucking disgusting. I'm Django, and I can't even... I'm never going to eat a donut again. That sucks. I'm Roman, and I I want donuts with that and some Fruit Loops mixed in. Shut your butthole. (laughs) I have those donuts from Lafine's yesterday in my my cupboard right now. I almost got you donuts today. (laughs) 